This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Every once in a while, I will get an email from someone or a message saying, could you please talk about, you know, this on the show? I got one of those last night and I thought, oh, this gentleman raises a, a good point. Straight to the point, Anthony says, Simi, could you do a show on SkyTrain etiquette? And then he told me all about the issues that he had on SkyTrain recently where he was trying to get on a train to get back to New Westminster. He missed two trains because of the crowds. And I guess he, then he figured, well, maybe I'm standing in the wrong spot. So then he stood in a different spot. Still not good enough because people just came from everywhere, he said, and pushed their way in. And so he was just wondering, like, where is the etiquette? We line up to get on buses, right? We're pretty good about that. What happens when we're getting on SkyTrain? People just forget all about that and they make a rush for it. So this got us talking, right, as it does, wanting to know and talk about pet peeves on transit. So we thought, hey, let's make this our hot question of the day. What is your biggest pet peeve on public transit? Is it when people put their bags on seats? And then I had this whole long conversation with our producer, Claire Allen, about like, would you ever ask somebody, excuse me, could you please move that bag so I could sit there? Uh, Would you do that? So bags on seats not making room, like not push, not getting all the way to the end of the car so there's more room for people to get in. What about loud chatter? You know, people talking on their phone really loudly, that kind of thing. Is that one of your pet peeves on transit? Or maybe there's something else and we say, hey, let us know what that something else actually is. So this is our hot question of the day today. Absolutely go online and tweet us uh, and you get your response to this going. So you'll find it at CKNW or at Simisera980. And that, of course, is on Twitter. You can also call our buzz line. If you've got a story to tell, and come on, if you're a regular transit rider, I know you have a pet peeve story to tell us all about. So call our buzz line, 604-331-BUZZ. That is 331-2899. Or email me, simi at cknw.com. What this gentleman was really wondering is, what is the etiquette, the proper etiquette, for trying to get on a crowded SkyTrain car. Like if you're on the platform, where do you stand? Do you wait for everybody to get off and then go on? Do you have to fight your way in? He was at a loss because he said whatever he was doing, he kept doing it wrong because about three or four cars went by before he was able to actually get on. That's pretty frustrating, right? So what is your biggest pet peeve on public transit? We are going to be talking more about that today. So let's have your comments on that. Check out our hot question of the day. If you are a bus rider in Metro Vancouver and you think it's taking longer than ever, guess what? You are not imagining things and you are not alone either. TransLink has come out with their 2019 Bus Speed and Reliability Report. And that report says that traffic congestion is getting so bad all over the region that 80% of all bus routes are slower now than they were five years ago. We wanted to talk to TransLink about this, so I caught up with Daniel Freeman, who's the Senior Manager of Bus Priority Projects at TransLink, and here's what he told us. Well, Dan, thanks so much for joining us to talk about this uh, today. First off, what is this uh, bus speed and reliability report? Is this something that TransLink does every year? No, so um, so this is a new report for TransLink. Um, TransLink is, is constantly monitoring the performance of our services, but um, we've been uh, noticing the decline in bus speeds and how that's been affecting our customers and our bottom line. And we wanted to get a, a better understanding of the scale of the issue and really where um, this is the biggest. So this is the first time we've done a comprehensive region-wide assessment of where delays are occurring to buses, and importantly, where that's affecting the most customers. So we're looking in, in block by block 
uh, you know, every 50 minutes of the day at every single bus route and um, using the GPS data and the passenger data to tell us uh, the scale of the problem that we face and kind of where in the region that's the most acute. And so we should be focusing our efforts. Okay, so where are the biggest delays then? Well, so we've um, published uh, a map in the support of the top 20 corridors where there's the most passenger delay. So it's the most delay affecting the most people. And they're not going to be a shock, I think, to anybody who rides the bus. They're, um, they're kind of spread across the region because we have a lot of transit customers um, and also a lot of roadway congestion across the region. But there is a concentration in the town centers. So in just Metro Vancouver, in the, in the city of Vancouver in, in the core, and also in uh, North Surrey, North Delta in the core, where you have a lot of routes that are kind of converging and a lot of traffic. So uh, you know, the top corridors are King George 104th in Surrey, the Highway 99 corridor from sort of Richmond Brickhouse uh, Skytrain Station all the way down through the tunnel and uh, to South Surrey. Uh, 41st Avenue, Broadway, Hastings, through Vancouver, Burn, the other top five. Okay, so when you say they're slowing down, like by how much? So we've measured that 80% of bus routes in the region are slower than they were five years ago. Um, and uh, in some cases, the slowing, uh, you know, is is a small amount slower every every year or every quarter, but it adds up kind of over time to uh, to really cost a lot of money um, for us. So what we end up doing is we have to add additional additional hours of service, additional bus, just to keep the same level of service, just because it takes longer to get from one end of the line to the other. So in some cases, it could take, you know, five, even 10 minutes longer. Um, and also, the, the service can has be, become much less reliable. Again, this is not nothing new for anybody who rides yeah. the bus every day, but, uh, you know, it might take uh, 10 minutes on a good day and half an hour, 45 minutes on a bad day. And so what you have to do is you have to budget for that 45 minutes so you make it to class on time or so you make it to your job on time. And so really trying to bring the speed up a bit, but also bring that, uh, make that service more reliable. Right. And um, a number of the... costing us like five million bucks a year uh, up to that much every year to a, a new, a new service that we're adding just to deal with the slowing of bus service across the region. Now, I know a lot of those areas that you mentioned that have this congestion problem also also have a bus lane. So are the bus lanes not helping? Um, so the bus lanes do help. Um, there are not bus lanes in all of those areas. Um, there are bus lanes in some segments. In some instances, the bus lanes um, are, are in place only for, you know, in some directions and some times of the day. So we're looking at across the whole day, every day of the week and on weekends, and we're seeing increasing delay in the middle of the day, in the shoulders, in the off, you know, in the opposite off-peak direction and weekends, um, where that's, you know, often where it can be worse. On, you know, on Broadway, it's, it's worse usually for a bus rider on Saturday than it is in, in rush hour. So that's one of the factors. The other part is that, you know, uh, bus lanes aren't the only thing, how traffic signals operate, where turns are allowed and aren't allowed. You know, right-turning vehicles can, can really slow down um, uh, buses if there's a lot of pedestrian activity. So, the, you know, these are... There's a whole host of reasons why a delay might be happening. And the purpose of the report is to say, well, where are those problems? Uh, give some examples of the types of tools that are available. There, you know, these are solvable problems. There's great examples both locally and across the world where, um, where there's been uh, great action and, and mm-hmm. taken to improve bus performance. And really to say, like, you know, TransLink has some funding and tools and, and information available to help. Um, TransLink doesn't control the streets. You know, the streets... Uh, the way they're, they're functioned, the, what turns are allowed, how traffic signals are operated, 
that's something that is controlled by the cities and I guess on the provincial right. uh, provincial level, the, the highways. So we're looking to partner with all those agencies to make bus service more effective. So what are the tools then to fix this? Like when you say partnering with those agencies, like what do you need? More dedicated lanes? Do you need more advanced signals? What do you need? Uh, I guess the answer is yes to both of those things. <laughs> you know, it really, it runs the gamut. Uh, and I think there, there, there is no, you know, one size fits all here. Um, the, you know, we had, it goes from the small scale. We had a really you know, a good successful example just last year where we worked with the city of Delta to, um, we identified there was a problem. Uh, buses were really delayed turning left from Scott Road onto 84th Avenue. And uh, we worked with them. We Translink paid for uh, a new left turn signal to be installed, and it shaved two minutes off of um, off of that route. Now, so there's some really smaller things like that, and to kind of the other, I guess, end of the spectrum where you know full dedicated bus lanes um, are really really effective where there's a lot of congestion on the roadway. So it depends on what the problem is to find the right solution. And obviously, you know these are these are complicated. Right issues that cities have to grapple with a whole bunch of considerations. So, um, uh, you know, that's, that's what the tools right. can help them to, to figure out what's, what's the best. Is there a concern here, Dan, as well, that if people, if, if the bus ride starts to take longer and it's too crowded, that people will, I don't know, sour on the idea of taking transit? Absolutely. I think, you know, we, you know we're really fortunate that TransLink uh, and in our region, we have uh, some of the highest transit ridership. We've had some of the greatest levels of transit ridership growth across North America for the last number of years. And um, uh, and that's really good news. But behind that, we always have to be paying attention to the fundamentals and that, you know, if bus service gets slower and less reliable, um, then that becomes a less attractive choice to, to people. Um, you know, people do have choices and we want to make transit something that, that, that people do want to take. You know, two-thirds of transit trips are on buses. And so um, the bus network is really critical and we have to pay attention to it. And, uh, you know, if we don't do anything, things are going to get worse. You know, bus delays have been increasing. Ride hailing coming to the region this fall, while it's really exciting to bring new options to, uh, to, to people traveling across the region, is expected to, you know, particularly add more traffic in those busy areas that we've already mentioned, where there's already a lot of delay in bus services. So we have to, you know, if, if we don't want things to get worse for, for, for transit, we have to, you know, make some changes. So is this kind of like, you would like cities to pay attention to this, right? City planners and traffic engineers to say, listen, we let's do this sooner rather than later. Yeah, exactly. So that's why we're bringing this report forward to the TransLink Mayor's Council this uh, this Friday. And so both to bring attention to the, the mayors of all the cities of the region um, in their capacity, both um, as the Mayor's Council for TransLink to say, hey, look, this is um, this delaying of bus service, this long of bus service is costing the region a lot of money. And we'd much rather be spending that money to add new service in areas where there isn't enough bus service or, or making the buses more frequent where there's a lot of overcrowding rather than just adding service just to keep up with, with slowing traffic and, and to say, hey, can, can we come to your cities and to you know, give more information to your councils and to your, and we've been talking to staff already to help them uh, to make some changes in their communities that, that are appropriate in their cities. Right. Well, Dan, thank you so much for your time on this. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
It's Daniel Freeman, Senior Manager of Bus Priority Projects at TransLink. So what are these busiest bus routes in Metro Vancouver? Well, there's a top 10. Uh, King George Boulevard and 104th Avenue is number one. Highway 99, 41st Avenue, Broadway, and Hastings, Vancouver and Burnaby Hastings. That's the top five. Uh, the next is Scott Road and 72nd Avenue. And then uh, Main Marine Drive. Uh, that would actually be over in West Vancouver. Fraser Highway, West Georgia Street, and getting onto the Lionsgate Bridge. And number 10 is Granville Street. So I'm guessing downtown and just on the other side there of the bridge. So yeah, busy, busy bus routes. If you want to weigh in, see me at cknw.com. All right, we are going to talk about transit pet peeves. And this all started because I received an email last night. And it was from a man named Anthony. We tried to get a hold of Anthony today, but we didn't have any luck. Uh, But Anthony was pretty fired up when he wrote me because he wanted to say, could you please do a show on SkyTrain etiquette? Here's what he said. He said, I don't ride it a lot, but I was down at the stadium station this afternoon, he said, around 5 p.m., trying to get back to New West. He said, after missing two trains because of the crowds, I noticed that you need to stand in front of where the doors will be located when the train stops to have a chance of getting on. Standing room only, of course, he said. So I did this. He said, standing much closer to the rails than I would like. But so when the train stopped, there were three of us there and we had to step back to let passengers out. Now you would think some common decency would dictate that we would be the next to get on. No way, he said. What happens is people come rushing from both sides and into the train they go, while us foolish folds, he said, clear the way for disembarking passengers. He said they have their heads down, they push forward like nobody notices what they're doing. He says, so now four trains have passed us by, and I decided I needed to impose my presence to get myself and an elderly lady on. He said, otherwise we may have been waiting for another four trains. And he said, it was thoroughly disgusting, and I felt very slimy, but I was on the train on my way home. He said, is this normal for our city? Or am I naively expecting too much in the way of common decency and courtesy? That is from Anthony. Anthony, thank you very much for your email. So I put this out there to the people that we work with, and I said, so what do we think about this? Well, we had to ask Claire Allen, our CKNW contributor, because she takes SkyTrain every day. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do, Simi, and And I totally agree with Anthony. Really? Yeah, it's bad out there. There is no such thing as etiquette anymore when it comes to public transportation. No one keeps it in mind. Well, wait a minute. When I see people waiting to get on the bus, they're all lined up nicely waiting to get on the bus. Are the buses different? I don't know. I think some buses, like the B line, there is a line because especially during rush hour, you feel like... It, it's there's a long line to get on, right? A lot there of people is. Are I see it. It can be in Broadway all the time. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it's okay there, but the trains are a different story. And so, what do you have to do? What's your method for getting on a busy, packed SkyTrain? Honestly, I lose my I l- lose it every morning internally. <laughs> internally, though. Oh, internally. That's I, like oh, every scary. day. I want to come in here and complain to you guys, but I'm just like, no, Claire, you're traveling during rush hour. You've done this to yourself. But every day I lose it because let's start off with the beginning of the journey. Okay. If you're taking, if you're trying to take the escalator or the staircase to get to the train, people are just walking on either side, standing on either side if it's on the escalator. No one is adhering to the rules that you stand Stand on one side and walk up on the other. Stand on the right, walk on the left. Yeah, exactly. So no one is adhering to those rules. It's craziness. And you're just like, can you get out of the way? Or people are just walking down both sides of the divided stairs when people are trying to come up one side or go down the other side. People are just in the way. You know what also really amuses me about this while you're going on about this is that our producer, Dwayne Bishop, is nodding his head and laughing because that's him. He commutes from White Rock every day. Yeah, so he for sure knows. Yeah. 
I, I would argue that everyone listening right now knows what I'm talking about. People are just in the way, no matter what. Then you're waiting to get on the train. <laughs> Am I going to regret bringing this up? <laughs> then you're waiting to get on the train. We know that we have designed our, our pl- train platform. They're, they're poorly designed train platforms. They're too short and they don't have True. enough room for people to stand, especially yes. with the volume that we're seeing, right? Like it's been, they, yes. every year we have more people using the SkyTrain or Canada Line. So you're waiting for the train and you're thinking, all right, the doors are going to open. I'm going to let the passengers off because that's the right thing to do. You let the people out before you go on, right? That seems normal, yeah? No, it is not. (laughs) It is not normal, Simi. What the problem is, is people just start barreling in while other people are trying to get out or people don't move out of the way to let passengers off the train. Like the spot is like you have to cling to your spot on the train. So people are just ignoring all etiquette holding on for dear life while people are trying to get out of the train or get in. So that's a nightmare. I'm just, I just want to speak on behalf of a lot of people out there who may have heard you before on the show and they're like, who is this person? Because this doesn't sound like the Claire Allen who usually comes on the show. This is a lot of frustration building up over the years. And so you're trying to get on. It's a mess. Because again, people are just in the way. No one is following instructions. I always wait, make a hole for the people to come out. I always wait. But now I've just given up. You know what? I'm getting on the train. So be it. Elbows out. Because people are just just don't listen. No one cares anymore. Then you get on the train. Oh boy. If you can get on because people are just standing in the entryway when there's so much space to the left and to the right. And I'm going to get to the point where I'm going to start yelling, can you move when I get on the train? I'd like to be there when that happens. Because people like are so, they're just wrapped up in their own music, their podcast, whatever the heck they're doing on their phone, that nobody is moving to make room for people that are trying to get on the train. So you're saying there's a whole bunch of room all they have to do is just move just further shift. in. Just move your feet a couple steps and we can all get on the train. No one's going to lose it because I'm about, I'm almost at the point. But this would be great if we could just make room for everybody. Nobody's doing that. Then, so then you see people <laughs> Have sitting. the doors closed yet? Are we traveling on the train yes, yet? Yes, sure. Okay, the okay. doors may have okay. closed okay. at all right. this point. All right. And my frustration is almost at a boiling point. Okay. But then you see people sitting in the seats that are set aside for uh, people with mobility issues or pregnant women just lounging there while you have some elderly gentleman with a cane, an elderly woman that has you mobility issues. You don't see or that, a do you? pregnant woman. I have seen that many times where you have a woman, a pregnant woman with a child, like a toddler, and no one's giving just, up their seat. No. And of course, I haven't gotten a seat because I've got on too late. But other people just, you know, looking at their phone, scrolling through while this lady's suffering. She's visibly pregnant and she has a toddler and nobody's offering her a seat. That's I awful. Just, it's so crazy. do you ever say anything? Because like, I, I think for me, the, one of the biggest pet peeves is people who have their bags on the seat, you yeah, know, that's bad like, too. and I think I, I have said in the past, excuse me, could you please move your bag mm-hmm. so somebody could sit down? Well, let me tell you about what I saw two days ago, Simi. I was coming into work. Again, I ride it during the worst time of the day, so you I know do. it's my you fault. You do. You come into work at like eight o'clock in the morning, yeah, so you exactly. do. exactly. So it's, it's not great. This is my fault. But Regardless, people should be well-behaved. I'm seeing somebody. This is two seats on on the Canada line. Somebody is sitting in the middle of the two seats with a bag on one side, jacket on the other. Might as well just stretch out like you're in front of the TV. I was livid. But did you say anything? No, I didn't. Oh, see? Such a, I know. So the, isn't the best way not to be like, not to be nasty or super aggressive about it, but I think it's fair to go to that person and say, Excuse me, there are people standing. Could you please move your stuff so people could sit down? I know I should because I didn't need the seat. I'm fine to stand. I have a short but commute. But other people need but the seat. But other people need this. And I think I was waiting. I was a little far away too, so I'd have to yell also, over all these people. But what kind of oh, there's people? What kind of person does that? Takes up three seats just because they can. Clueless. 
absolutely because we're clueless. so absorbed into our phone that we're our phones. That's what I see on my morning commute, and I'm guilty of it too because I listen to music or whatever. I listen to CKNW when I'm coming in. That we don't look around. I'm starting to look around more, and the more I look around, the angrier I'm becoming. Yeah, that was just like a Claire Allen reality check that oh, we just had so, there. Are you okay? I feel so much better. Do you feel better now that yeah, you got that all ready up? Ready to ride the rails tonight. <laughs> Ooh, okay, exactly. It's all going to happen for you again on the way home. I know. So what would you classify as the biggest pet peeve? Is it bags on seats, not making room, people talking on the phone? Janet Brown, our reporter, tweeted us to say people talking like loudly on their phones that drives her crazy. That's her number one pet peeve. I don't see that that much. I don't see people just carrying on loud conversations. However, I know that that does happen. For me, it's just, it's the lack of awareness on the train. The, uh, it, what really gets me is when I see somebody with a mobility issue or a pregnant woman and people are not offering up their seats because I know- That's, un- that's infuriating. Even in school, we were told, yes. you've got to give up those seats. If you're any seat, doesn't matter if it's the Shame seats on the you. front. Yeah. Shame on you out there who does not get up for a pregnant woman or a woman with a small child who needs that yeah, seat. Totally. Shame on you. And we, I see that- Quite a bit, I would say. Chris has tweeted us to say, regarding transit etiquette, part of this problem is, Chris maintains, that we are all too Canadian. We need to start calling others out on this nonsense instead of staying quiet and then stewing about it later. Oh. Claire Owen. <laughs> uh, nothing will change if we just let it go all the time. But if I was just yelling all the time on the train, Not we wouldn't, yelling. We wouldn't have the segment. There are, <laughs> there are other ways to do this. You don't have to yell. You could be... I see people lose it on the train, though. I will. Uh, yeah, I see people like, get really upset about people not moving in, not making room, not giving up seats. I have seen that before. I've seen some... some uh, very testy interactions. Well, maybe that wouldn't happen if more of us called it out, you know, politely. Yeah, and we do see the um, the billboard, sort of the signage on the, on the bus. Attention. That, no, nobody's not. paying attention. And maybe we need to do more. Like, I uh, think so. Someone suggested out in our producer pit that maybe every time a new semester rolls around, they start with the new sort of like really driving home the transit etiquette because a lot of students it's use be transit crowded. and they're and in their they will Backpacks. continue. They will continue using transit throughout their life. So if we drive home this message now, take off your backpack, carry it in front of you. Don't keep bumping people either. That's another good one. Yeah, we're going to open up the phone lines on this. In fact, they're already open. We're already getting calls. 604-280-9898. Let me just quickly go to GMAC, who is calling. Hi. Hey, how you doing? Good. What did you want to say? Well, I work in transit and... uh not on the sky train, but I do take it quite often. And everything what people are saying is true. Uh-huh. But uh, I, on our end of transit, the West Coast Express, we just don't put up with that uh, that rudeness and uh, bags on the seat. And, uh, you know, it's totally different operation the way we tell people or how, how people do what they do, right? Yes, how do you do that then? Do you act like, what do you say to them? We just tell them, you know, if there's a, it's just, actually the passengers are as good as it is as we are. They're or better. They just automatically have a pregnant lady or an older person, and I'm not young, but they have an older person. They just let them sit down and, huh. and believe me, everybody says, oh, it's, you guys got people working on it. We have one guy on that train with 1,500 people aboard. And uh, standing room only for a lot of it. So right. it's not that different. 
Okay. All right. Thank you very much for that. So going West Coast Express, Claire, maybe perhaps we need to model more of that behavior. Yeah, I guess the word I'm taking, the Canada Line to SkyTrain, is just the wild, wild west. Nobody's out there <laughs> to interfere, to run interference, to let people know that these are this is the code of etiquette that we have and you need to adhere. Look, at, you're so much quieter now than when you started this segment. I feel like you've got all that yeah, out. You feel a little bit better? It's been building up for a long time. Well, you know, we're going to we're gonna have to let some other people do it too. I feel as though we've touched a nerve here with our SkyTrain pet peeve segment that we're doing right now. And, you know, our Claire Allen uh, made an excellent point here during the commercial break, where she said, I think this happens more on, on the trains than it does on the buses, because on the buses, you've, there are eyes on you with the bus driver, right? So the bus driver can always call out bad behavior if the bus driver so chooses. But on SkyTrain, there isn't anybody to do that. So people just behave any way they want to. Let me go to Kim in New Westminster, who's been very patient waiting on the line. Hi, Kim. Hi, Simmy. What happened? You've got a story for us. Well, I've got two very quick stories. Okay. The first one is I was on a, a SkyTrain, and there was a lady who came on barreling on, and Claire will know what I mean by that. Okay. Barreling on, took two seats, oh. threw on all her bags onto the one seat, and I was there, and I wasn't feeling very well, so I came up, just like you said, and said, excuse me, could I please sit there? And she stared at me with hellion eyes and started yelling at me. What? And screaming that uh, you can't take an... Well, no, there was no other seat. And she moved her stuff, but she just lit into me, and everybody was just standing and sitting around. Nobody said anything? Nobody was like, lady, you need to calm down? No, 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 no. Um, uh, A couple stops later after she got off, uh, huffing and puffing at me the entire time, um, this other person sort of whispered in my ear, oh, I'm glad you did that. Yeah, but what good is that at that point, right? (laughs) The second story, very quickly. Yep. A fellow came on a SkyTrain sat right across the aisle from this very pretty lady with a very short skirt and very obviously was looking under her skirt. No. And and he actually leaned over Ew. And, la- and was laying on the seats looking up at. I noticed I went and I stood right in front of the lady. Yeah. And she looked at me really strangely because there were lots of seats and stuff. Yeah. And I sort of whispered to her and I said, I think someone's looking where they shouldn't. And then she sort of crossed her legs and, you know, tried to make things Ah, what a creep. Yeah. Uh, Kim, thank you for your horror stories on SkyTrain. We appreciate that. We appreciate your call. Have a good day. Uh, Let me go to Shelly in Langley. Hi, Shelly. Hello. You've got a story. Uh, I do. And this is a few years back. Okay. I was working in Vancouver, so I was new to the whole system, but I did the the bus and then I got to the SkyTrain. I'm short. I'm only five feet. I was wearing glasses at the time. Uh-huh. And uh, one of the stops came up and all these students were barreling to get off. Barreling, here I use that term. And they had their backpacks on their backs and I mm. was told that you're supposed to carry. You are. So as this boy went by me, he's quite tall, he swung his backpack, <sighs> kicked my face, my glasses went off, they hit the ground. Oh, no. Everybody's stomping to get out and I'm going my glasses, you know, trying to get people to pay attention. Well, I had to wait for the floor to clear and my glasses were basically destroyed. Oh, no. So um, when I got home, my husband says, that's it. I'm getting you a car and you're going to drive yourself. So oh. then I managed to find somebody to commute with me. But here's my question. Now we're talking about buses. The bus, normally you go out the back door and come in the front door. The door is narrow, so it really is only space for one. 
why can't they do something at the SkyTrain where they have doors that are for exits and doors that are for entrances? Wouldn't that good questions buy the whole thing? Shelley, that's an excellent point. Thank you very much for that story. Oh. I, I very quickly want to get to Joanne in Vancouver. Hi, Joanne. Hi, Simi. I just want to let you know what happened to me. Okay. I'm a I'm a senior and I'm handicapped. I ride a four wheel scooter. I get on at Broadway and Commercial, which has two sides to each train to the train door. Yeah. And uh, I missed four trains because nobody would let me on. What? In a scooter? Nobody would let you on? No, no. So finally I thought, well, excuse my language, to hell with this. The next time the doors open, I barreled through the people that were getting on. Nice. People getting on. And believe me, they moved. That's right. Well, I guess, unfortunately, Joanne, that's what you have to do, right? Well, that's true. If you don't, you're not, they're assertive enough to get on the train. Why don't they make room for me, too? Exactly. Well, I'm sorry you had to do that, but I am glad that you have found a way to get on the train. Okay, okay. Thank you. have a good day. You too. Thank you so much for that, Joanne. Oh boy, so many good calls on this topic. I'm going to have to address you to get you direct you to go to our buzz line 604-331-2899. Well, the big story over this lunch hour has to do with listening to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau lay out how he plans to move forward now that his party has been returned essentially to government, but with a minority of the seats. Nobody has a majority. So how does he plan to govern? So he held a press conference just about an hour and a half or so ago to lay out uh, how they see this unfolding. And of course, the biggest question is, how does he intend to do this? Does he intend to have a formal you know, coalition partner, any kind of formal arrangement in order to make sure legislation gets passed? Here is what he had to say about that. I intend to sit down uh, with all party leaders uh, in the coming weeks uh, to talk about their priorities, about how we can work together to respond to the preoccupations that Canadians have from uh, one end of this country to the other to the other. Um, it'll be, uh, they will be you know, various and varied conversations, but I can tell you it is not in our plans at all to form any sort of formal coalition, formal or informal coalition. You said on election night that you felt you had a clear mandate from Canadians, but you've been reduced to a minority government and your share of the vote was reduced substantially. So what lesson do you take from the fact that a million voters abandoned their party from the last election to now? I think Canadians sent a clear message across the election of multiple parties that affordability and uh, the fight against climate change are uh, really clear priorities that they want this parliament to work on. They also sent a clear message that they expect uh, us as government to work with the other parties on these issues that matter to them, and that's exactly what we're going to do. All right, but what about working with other parties? Does that mean that he's going to have to open up the wallets, perhaps, and indulge in some pet projects that the other parties are looking for? Well, he didn't rule that out. Canadians gave me a lot to think about on Monday night uh, as they returned us in government, but with a clear requirement to work uh, with other parties on the priorities that Canadians spoke clearly to uh, during the election campaign, particularly affordability and the fight against climate change. Uh, and I'm going to take the time necessary to really reflect on how best to serve Canadians and how to work with those other parties. I think that's what the people who voted for me and the people who didn't vote for me expect. And I'm going to make sure that we, we get down to work by doing that. And then what about the Trans Mountain Pipeline? Does he foresee any kind of complications about this? Because, of course, there are two parties in the House of Commons who are opposed to the Trans Mountain Pipeline. He was asked about that. Right now, and for too long, we have been selling uh, our natural resources to the United States at a discount. 
uh, and that doesn't serve anyone. It certainly doesn't serve uh, the transition and the investments in clean energy and fighting climate change that take resources and take money to be able to do. Uh, getting our resources to markets other than the United States uh, and getting that done as quickly as possible remains uh, a priority for us. We put in place measures that allowed that project to move forward by doing more for the environment, more for oceans protection, better partnership with Indigenous peoples, uh, because we need to get our resources to markets other than the United States in a safe and secure way, and that's what the Trans Mountain Pipeline will do, and then we will be able to invest all profits and revenues uh, into this uh, green energy and uh, cl fighting climate change that Canadians expect us to act on. Of course, the Trans Mountain Pipeline is a very hot topic and near and dear to people in Alberta. And that has kind of prompted this discussion of alienation, uh, those feelings that uh, people in Alberta and Saskatchewan say they have been having towards the federal government in Canada. So what does Trudeau expect the premiers of those two provinces to do? How does he expect them to behave during the next term? I expect... Um Premiers Kenny and Mo, and all Premiers to stand up for the interests of their citizens. That's their job. Uh, and people in Alberta and Saskatchewan uh, have been suffering and struggling because of circumstances beyond their control. And uh, we have, over the past few years, endeavoured to be supportive. We have endeavoured uh, to get those resources to uh, new markets, and we're well advancing on that. But there is more we need to do, and I look forward to conversations uh, with all premiers across the country about what the next things we should be doing to better serve Canadians. Now, what about the issue of humility, right? The Liberals, of course, lost their majority. What does this say about Trudeau's performance over the last four years? Was this a judgment on that? Our Global News reporter, Michael Couture, wanted to hear what he had to say. This election was a message from voters that they rejected you and your party's platform and in a sense of the last four years of your work. A, did you get that message? And B, what are you going to do to convince voters that you're still the best person to lead this country? I think Canadians uh, sent the clear message that they expect uh, their leaders to work together on the big issues that matter to them, two of them being the fight against climate change and affordability. Uh, cost of living for people right across the country as we work to build a better future for them all. I'm committed uh, to working on that. Fortunately, those are big parts of our platform, um, but we're also going to work with other parties to ensure that we are uh, making, uh, making the right decisions for all Canadians. We felt especially in the West, in the past you said that Western alienation was just made up by politicians. Do you still believe that today? Uh, I have been very, very clear in telling Canadians from coast to coast to coast uh, that we need to recognize that Albertans and, and people in Saskatchewan uh, have faced very difficult years um, over these past few years because of uh, global commodity prices, because of challenges that they're facing that, you know, for a long time they weren't able to get their resources to markets other than the United States. Uh, we are moving forward to solve some of those challenges, but it's going to take all Canadians sticking together, helping out folks who are struggling in places like Alberta and Saskatchewan. Uh, this is what Canadians expect of their government, and this is something that we're going to stay focused on. Okay, but what about the election campaign? Like one of the big complaints that we all heard, that we all talked about during the campaign was that it was negative, that it was too nasty. Well, how does Justin Trudeau feel about that? Here's what he told reporters. I think many of us uh, regret the tone and the divisiveness and the disinformation that were uh, all too present features of this 
past election campaign. I think Canadians uh, expect us to work together, uh, to listen to each other, to figure out a way to move forward that isn't as uh, divisive and um, challenging as this election was. Um, I think there were a lot of issues that weren't properly addressed. I think there were big substantive ideas that weren't fully debated uh, in, in this election campaign and I regret that and I recognize um, that much of this campaign uh, tended to be around me uh, and I do hold a bit of responsibility for that. But this parliament and this government will be and needs to be focused on Canadians. And that means we need to work together. We need to listen to each other. We need to figure out the right path forward for every part of the country. And that is something that I am committed uh, to doing. All right. A couple other notes on this. Uh, a new cabinet is going to be sworn in on November the 20th. And he did say that the first priority for the new government is to lower taxes for the middle class. So, of course, we have to wait and see what that entails. Let's get you an update now on that whole college admissions scandal. Most of it, of course, has been happening in the United States, but we also know that there is a local connection to this. There is a Vancouver man who has been charged in this case as well. It's not just Hollywood stars. Uh, the local man, of course, is David Sidhu, and there are some pretty serious charges that actually got upgraded this week. So we wanted to talk more about that. Joining us now is Global News reporter Catherine Urquhart with more. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Simi. How are you? I am good, thank you. So what happened this week? This took a much more serious turn now. It sure did. Um, a big development. And it came down last night. A third superseding indictment came down from the U.S. District Court uh, from the District of Massachusetts. And there are 19 defendants on it. And at the very top of that list is David Sidhu of Vancouver. We can tell you that they've added a number of charges against him. And just to list them off, there's conspiracy to commit mail and wire fraud and honest services mail and wire fraud. One count to that. Three counts of money laundering conspiracy. That's a very serious new one. Two counts of forfeiture and money laundering forfeiture. So the new ones are money laundering conspiracy and money laundering forfeiture. And those are incredibly serious. And if he's found guilty on these charges, could face decades behind bars. Right. And so, Catherine, there was a, he's one of the parents that has not taken a deal, right? Because many parents mm. did. That's right. And it really does appear that the prosecutors are really pushing them to, you know, do a deal. Um, and there are more details I can tell you in this documentation, in this indictment. Okay. Um, and I'll just uh, tell you a little bit about that. Of course, it goes on to, we've heard some of this before about how Sadu allegedly, you know, agreed to pay $100,000 to have Mark Riddell secretly take the SAT in place of his older son. Um, and it goes on to detail how he flew from Tampa, Florida to Vancouver to take the SAT. SAT in place of Sadu's older son. Um, goes on to say how he also, uh, June 9th, 2012, we hadn't heard that date before, that Riddell posed as Sadu's older son in order to secretly take the Canadian high school graduation exam in his place. And, you know, we hear more allegations in here about the younger son. Uh, one of them, uh, October 2013, Singer drafted a falsified application essay describing Sadu's younger son's purported internship with an organization that worked to combat violence among Los Angeles 
Angeles-based gangs. The essay falsely claimed that Sidhu's younger son had been held up at gunpoint by gang members in Los Angeles. Uh, just incredible allegations. That Those are incredible allegations. So this sounds like it's moving into a new phase. What has David Sidhu or his lawyers said about any of this? Uh, no comment so far. We have spoken to an anti-money laundering lawyer, and they've advised us that if found guilty, that assets, family assets, could be seized all over the world, including here in Vancouver. So that could include Mr. Sidhu's home on Belmont. It could include his home in Whistler, any other assets they have, cars, stocks, all of that. It's so interesting though, isn't it, Catherine? Because clearly in the States now we're seeing that there's a lot of jail sentences being handed out here when it comes to these cases, but there are still a couple of defendants who are trying to fight this. And David Stu sounds like he's one of them. He is one of them, uh, at least so far, and we've seen that also with the actress, uh, Lori Loughlin. She also is uh, fighting it at this point. And uh, it just wow. seems that the American you know, uh, officials are just going to keep pushing and pushing, and, and we don't know how far this is going to go. But, you know, clearly this is a very, very serious, uh, you know, turn yeah. in this case. Yeah. It, it really is. Do we know when the next court appearance is or when the next move is on this? Haven't heard just yet. Um, I think right. that probably, um, you know, the American prosecutors are waiting to see what kind of reaction they get True. Yeah. from people and see if any more people plead guilty or try to do some kind of a deal. That sounds like what they're pushing for, too. Well, Catherine, thank mm-hmm. you so much for that. You're welcome. That's a great update there from Catherine Urquhart, our global news reporter who's been following this story. The college admissions scandal uh, this week took another turn, and now it's also had an impact here locally. Uh, Vancouver businessman David Sidhu has been charged in this. Now, he has always said all along he was going to fight these charges, but this week the deadline passed for people, for other defendants to take a deal, essentially, with prosecutors in the States. And once the deadline passed and they thought, okay, now we know who's taking a deal and who's not taking a deal, they uh, slapped more charges on the people who were left. Federal charges involving bribery as well. Those are very, very serious. Uh, So we'll have to wait and see what happens as a result of that. But as Catherine also mentioned, it's not just David Sidhu, but some very high-profile people like former Full House actress uh, Lori Loughlin and her husband, who also did not take a deal and are continuing to fight the charges as well. So more to come on that. It is time for the latest edition of the CKNW Leadership Series. And today the question is, where do we find our leaders? What if we're looking in the wrong place? Well, CKNW contributor Eric Chapman decided to take a look at that. Leaders come in all shapes and sizes. Some people strive all of their lives to learn, take courses, and educate themselves on being a good leader and what it is. The best, Jerry. The best. How to speak to someone properly, how to address the crowd. But that doesn't necessarily make them a good leader. Here's Rosalind Torres. We conducted a study of 4,000 companies, and we asked them, let's see the effectiveness of your leadership development programs. 58% of the companies cited significant talent gaps for critical leadership roles. That means that despite corporate training programs, off-sites, assessments, coaching, all of these things, more than half the companies 
had failed to grow enough great leaders. So if all that learning is not working, how do we get new leaders? Where do we find them? Who are they? Well, on the flip side, some really great leaders just kind of end up becoming the front person through no fault of their own. There are many examples from the past. Moses, he used muscle to solve most problems. He even lacked the self-confidence to lead. He even had to ask the big guy. If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? But he ended up leading for a very long time and doing a not bad job of it. There's another young lady who's doing a great job leading the climate change conversation. This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet, you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? Very unlikely she would be the leader she is even a year ago. We see it often in musicians like John Lennon. Oprah, on the other hand, is a great example of this as well. She was just a talk show host from Chicago. Not likely that she would have become what she has today and the leader she is. The last time I wore a strapless bra, I looked down and that bra was moving down my torso. Someone like Russell Brand is a good example of this as well. From the outside, he's the definition of an unlikely leader. He went from a foul-mouthed, drug-addict comic to a foul-mouthed, person in recovery, giving talks about making yourself a better person, growing together through positivity and leading that charge. Here's lecturer Sarah McKeon. So somebody who's come from very humble beginnings. He's an Essex boy, not an Eton boy. And he's been through a very different trajectory to what we might think of as what a leader would do. He's come through drug addiction. He's come through all of these kind of problems that he's lived with. And he's also very honest and I think increasingly the leaders that we've traditionally had are letting us down. We're finding out that they don't have integrity, that they're not honest. And I think that just pulls down this whole notion that leaders are born. And I don't think that's right. I think people can develop the capacity to lead. They can learn how to lead um, through learning about themselves. Just makes you think about the leaders we do have. Are they really the ones to lead us to the places we want and need to go? Or should we give more chances to the unlikely leaders? I mean, a stand-up comic was the mayor of Reykjavik in Iceland. Maybe next time we should stop and think. Is experience in the field the most important thing? Or is their life experience and personal growth just as important, or maybe more important, when it comes to leadership? Leadership.